Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Thanks. Good evening, everybody. Good to be with you again. I like that. Thank you. Um, happy Mother's Day. As already said, moms, we, we celebrate you uh, tonight. Um, you really are heroes. And so I really hope that you feel loved and appreciated, not only in your own family, but at GBC as well. We're so grateful for you and your investment in your own kids and in the life of our church. Um, we just, we honor you tonight. Um, as we're looking at Luke 10, uh, we've been looking at this chapter the last few weeks, and uh, we've really seen, if you think about it, um, uh, this, these clear pictures of discipleship and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so we saw at the beginning of the chapter how Jesus sends out the 72. They're called to go and tell. Right? They're go, to go and tell the message of the kingdom, the message of the good news, that peace is offered to them through the blood of Jesus Christ, that they could have their sins forgiven. So we looked at that. Uh, back, back at the beginning of Luke chapter 10, uh, that there's a message for all that needs to be told. Last week, we saw Jesus um, instruct us to go in love, right? To cross the street, to uh, not let any barriers or boundaries that we would kind of wall up between us and other people, that, that should never stop us from going and loving people in the name of Jesus because we have been loved uh, in the deepest of all ways by our great living God himself. And so we've been loved by Jesus to go and love like Jesus, we are to go in love. But today we get to the end of the chapter and we really see an interesting picture. It's a really small story, but a really significant one. And we're called to not go and do anything, we're called to come and sit. We're called to come and sit. And Jesus here in this passage actually tells us that this is the primary thing a disciple should do. And that it's really in this passage that will really bleed out into all the other things that we would ever go and do for Jesus and in the name of Jesus. Uh, this little story here in Luke is told only by Luke and in his gospel, and it features only three people. We see Martha and Mary, who are sisters, and we see Jesus, the Son of God himself. And in this very short little story, uh, it really resonates with us deeply, doesn't it? It resonates with our lives, and it provides great clarity for how we should live our lives which is why it's been so well remembered throughout all these ages. I mean, it's only in these few five verses in one passage in all the Bible, and it's so well known. And I think for the reason of that is it touches close to home for us, because this is a message about distraction and priorities. It's about distraction and priorities. I don't know about you, but distraction is, is really a key marker of our lives, isn't it? If I could sit down with every single one of you, and if I were to ask you, have you been distracted lately, I doubt anybody would say, oh, I'm never distracted, right? Everybody feels distracted in one sense or the other, right? And all of us would say something like that. Um, uh, I came across this week um, in the French Middle Ages, I don't know if you knew this, but the French had a way of torturing people, which I know that sounds horrible. I shouldn't be talking about this on Mother's Day. But um, the French had a way of torturing people where they would tie up all the limbs of each person to four different horses, and they would let the horses go free. The reason I bring this up is because they called this act of torturing distraction. I kid you not. 
right? What a picture of distraction being pulled in four different ways, just being pulled to pieces basically is what even the word distraction in our text literally means. And we might not be pulled away by horses or something like that, but we feel what that's like to be pulled in all these different directions, to be distracted all the time. I think the number one uh, factor that you and I often go to in our minds is that computer that you have right in your pocket right now, or maybe you're using it um, you know, to open your Bible app or something like that. We have these devices that are constantly trying to distract us, aren't they? Uh, Tony Renke wrote a helpful book called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Um, and in that book, he talks about the data that suggests that about uh, the average person is distracted by their phone 81,500 times a year. 81,500 times a year. So that means according to all the hours that you are awake, you are at, at, on average looking at your phone on a unique look every 4.3 minutes. So that means that you guys are going to look at your phones during this sermon eight or nine times tonight, right? It, it, we, they're distracting devices, aren't they? We live in a world that can feel really fast. It can feel really confusing where there's so many needs, so many options, so many good things even to get done. And in a busy world, we have this convicting and tender word here from Jesus, just in these five verses alone. And we find Jesus telling us what it is that really matters in terms of our time. And if Jesus told us one thing that matters most, yeah, I think we should listen to that, right? If Jesus were to say, this is the thing that matters most, we should press into that. So guys, this should be on the screen for you, but we see just two simple kind of movements in our plot line, our story here. We see, first of all, our universal problem. Jesus is confronting us in our troubles. And then in verse 42, we see our universal priority. And that is that Jesus is leading us into rest. He's leading us into rest. That's good news for us tonight. So let's look at verse 38 through 41 are about our universal problem, the troubles that Jesus confronts in our lives. Again, it reads, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, if you notice in verse 38, there's a change from a plural to a singular. It says, now as they went on their way. So Jesus and his disciples are going along the way. Remember, they're headed to Jerusalem. That's the idea here in the Gospel of Luke. But then it says that he, literally, he, Jesus, entered a village. He's alone. And in that village, we believe it to be Bethany because that's where Martha and Mary lived, according to other parts of the Bible. So, so we know this, that, that here he is welcomed into this house. We're told it's Martha's house, which that tells you something about Martha, but it's Martha's house. And this is a family that Jesus loved. Right? You remember in John chapter 11 where Jesus is summoned to go and raise Lazarus, right? To, to heal Lazarus, rather. And when he's told to come, the person tells Jesus, Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. 
We see Jesus pray and weep over the death of Lazarus and the grief that he sees in the eyes of everybody around him. We know that Jesus loves this family. And so here we are in Martha's house. She welcomes Jesus into her home. And in verse 39, we meet Mary. And where is she? Well, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. Right, guys, this is the posture of a disciple. It's the posture of a disciple. If you remember back, you can even look back in Luke chapter 8. Remember how there was that man out by the tombs who had so many demons. His name was Legion. And people would just try to tie him up and leave him to himself because no one could control him. Remember what happened when Jesus miraculously cast the demons out of that man and sent them into the pigs. The whole town came out and they saw the man, it says, in his right mind, where? At the feet of Jesus. Right? This is, this is a, a message that Luke often gives to us that's a posture of a disciple. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is what she's doing. She's not washing his feet. She's not rubbing his feet. I'm sure that would have been nice. She's listening to Jesus' teaching. Mary is doing what God the Father told the disciples to do in Luke 9.35. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is transfixed and Peter and James and John, they see the glory of Jesus. And they're like, let's put some tents up here. Let's just be here forever kind of idea. And then Moses and Elijah appear and then they disappear. And then out from the heavens, you hear the voice of God the Father say, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Right? That just happened. So Mary is doing what God the Father says we should do with Jesus. And this is really unique, you guys. I mean, in a society like this, women were often given the same status as children. And yet we find Mary here in a position that only a man would be in. I mean, in gender terms, Mary is acting like a man. Right? Mary's posture and eagerness to absorb Jesus' teaching, it would have shocked most of the Jewish audience. So we see here that Mary's not just pretending to be a disciple. She's not just in the position of a disciple. She's being a disciple. She's being taught. She's learning because she is listening to Jesus. And this is often what we see with Jesus and women. We've seen other women following Jesus in this respect. And so in the ancient Near East here, Jesus is giving women the respect, the love, and even the equal status that women were not given in this day and age. These women were not second-class disciples. There was no junior varsity disciples. There's just disciples, and Mary's one of them. So we need to bookmark this here because we're going to come back here to this in just a moment. But next in verse 40, we begin to see the conflict in the story. And this is where we meet our universal problem. Martha was distracted, right, with much serving. So we have one sister sitting and listening, and we have another one distracted. Martha's distracted. She isn't doing something wrong. She's not doing anything unimportant. She's not doing anything bad, but instead she's doing something really good. Right? She is distracted with serving Jesus. And when she could not stand it any longer, she asks Jesus to intervene, doesn't she? Notice what she says in her question, though. Lord, do you not care? Lord, do you not care? I'm working alone. I have no help. Do you not care? Tell her to help me. Right? She appeals to Jesus. And Jesus answers her, doesn't he? And he doesn't say, you don't talk to me like that. He doesn't do that, does he? And he doesn't talk out of both sides of his mouth. 
He doesn't say to Martha, sure, I'll, I'll deal with her. And then as Martha leaves the room, he says, just ignore Martha. She's having a bad day. Just, she'll, it'll blow over, right? She'll get over it. Right? He doesn't say that, does he? No, he speaks right to Martha's heart in love. Notice what he says. He says, Martha, Martha. Right? Jesus was not stuttering, okay? This, this was a, an endearing term here. In Semitic language, the doubling of the word meant magnification. Right? We, we see this in other parts of the Bible where David loses his son Absalom, right? And what does he say? He says, Absalom, oh Absalom, my son, my son. Right? We see Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when he says, Martha, Martha, he is magnifying her name. Right? He's, he, he's wanting her to know that he loves her deeply. He's not Martha, Martha, you know, not that. No, he's saying, I love you, right? It's, it's, it's an in term of magnification, of endearment here deeply. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Do you feel that way? Do you feel anxious and troubled about many things? I mean, have you, have you said to Jesus or have you wanted to say to Jesus recently in your life, do you not care? Do you not care, Jesus? As a result, Jesus may lovingly look us in the face as we come to him in exhaustion and say things like, Jesus, do you not care? I'm doing all this stuff. I'm doing it alone. Tell them to do this. Right? Jesus would look at us and say similarly, our name twice. He might say, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And we should agree with Jesus. As this word anxious, again, it's similar to the word distracted. It means to be torn to pieces. You're anxious. You're torn to pieces, right? Troubled often carries with it the image of being tossed about like a, like a capsized boat with no anchor. Right? This is the condition that Martha's heart it is in, and Jesus doesn't condemn her for it. He's just drawing it out. Right? You see, we are, we are seeing two Christian believers here, right? Martha and Mary, both are good people. Both are wanting to do the right thing. Both love Jesus, and he loves them. But Jesus makes a distinction between these two followers of his, not a distinction of worth. It's not a distinction of identity. It's not a distinction of status. It's not a distinction of love. He's just pointing out the obvious. Martha's distracted. And because of that, she isn't enjoying the fact that she's with Jesus. Jesus is in her house. I mean, often we could be so familiar with something that we don't even see what's really there, right? I mean, last night, I kid you not, I found out, I discovered a cupboard in my kitchen. I didn't even know it was there. It was right there the whole time. This is ridiculous. I understand that. But I look down at this cupboard and I look at my wife and I'm like, what is this cupboard? She's like, what do you mean? It's there the whole time. I open it up. I'm like, that's where the pictures go. Like, I've been in this house for nine months, familiar with the kitchen, right? Did not see this cupboard the whole time. I have no idea, even though I'm so familiar with this place. We can become so familiar with things, we don't even notice certain things, right? You know this. She was so focused on something else that she neglected to feel the gravity of that, the fact that Jesus was available to her. She misread the situation of what was needed in that moment. As isn't it true that distraction 
destroys the moments that you and I have in the relationships that we care about. Don't, don't you know this? That distraction destroys the moments that we have with one another. If you're constantly distracted when you're with your friend, when you're with your spouse, when you're with your kids, that ruins your intimacy over time. It makes our relationships really shallow. Right? You all know that. Like you sit at a restaurant and you look over and there's a bunch of people on their phones and you kind of roll your eyes, right? A little bit if you notice it. Why? Because you're like, you're all together. You should be enjoying each other's presence, but they're distracted. They're distracted. And we do the same thing. As maybe you find yourself torn apart, maybe you're troubled and maybe you're anxious this evening, you're distracted like Martha. And you think that the solution to your problem of being distracted, of being troubled, of being anxious is just getting more on top of your life. We often feel like Martha, but that's not where Jesus leads you to tonight. He doesn't say, get your act together. Make a better to-do list. He doesn't do that. No, he leads you into rest. He shows you what your universal priority should be. That's what we end with here in 42. We'll read it again. The Lord answered Martha. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Shall not be taken away from her. Jesus says one thing is necessary. Right? There's one thing that is most important, that's highest priority. In a world where Martha thinks that it's the bustling service that Jesus needs, he says, no, one thing is needed. Well, what is it? What's she doing again? We can look, this is where we look back up to verse 39. It, it's very clear what's Mary doing. She's not only sitting there, what is she doing? She's listening. She's listening to Jesus. She's taking in his teaching, right? His wisdom, his words, his presence. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary knew what the one necessary thing was. She was captivated by Jesus. All she wanted was more of Jesus. She chose the good portion, we're told. And the word good there doesn't imply that Martha chose something bad. Not at all. Uh, probably a better translation would say, Mary has chosen what is better. Right? It's not an either or, it's not a matter of, it's a matter of priorities. And when we get our priorities wrong, when we even allow good things, things like serving Jesus to crowd into first place, right? so that we start slipping away out of this vital touch that we need to have and we want to have with the resurrected Lord himself, what happens to our lives? We begin to wear out. Our souls become depleted. And we go, Jesus, do you not care? I'm not saying that leaning into Jesus and moment by moment means that we don't get tired. Not at all. I mean, most of the best things that you and I could even do in our lives and the best things that are even happening in the world today, things like fostering kids, adopting kids, writing books, building hospitals, raising babies, right? running for school boards, Investing in people and sharing the gospel, helping the poor, helping the hurting, planting churches. Most of the most wonderful things that we could spend our lives doing are being accomplished by really tired people. Right? So that's not the promise. We, we accept the demand that a productive life is, don't we? Right? We like 
hard work, even if you're like, no, I'm more lazy. No, you really do. You like it because there's a satisfaction in our exertion. When you work a really hard day and you get to the end of that day and you put your feet up, you grab your favorite drink, whatever it is, there is a satisfaction that you feel in doing a good hard day's work. We were wired to do this by God. I'm not saying that we won't work hard for Jesus, but I am saying this, and this is exactly what Jesus is saying. We exist to glorify God in first being disciples. And then we go out. We, we, it's about being first before we ever do. Being is more important than your doing because your being will lead to your doing. This is the one thing. And notice, too, the reason this is the best thing is because Jesus promises it's the one thing that will not be taken away from her. And so, therefore, it's the one thing that will not be taken away from you, Jesus himself. It's not merely his words. It's him, Jesus himself. Jesus is her portion. He's her portion. A portion is what you have, right? It's what you take. In the, when dinner comes around, right, this is food language here. Right? You take your portion, and some of you take bigger portions than others, right? And you go, this is my portion. It's food language here. I mean, just think about it. Martha's serving Jesus. I imagine there's food involved here. But here's Mary, and Jesus is the meal, right? He's the portion. And it's the one thing that can't be taken away from her. The other day, uh, Elizabeth got me some twisty barbecue Fritos. Have you seen those things, those little spiral barbecue Fritos things? Really good, by the way, okay? That little bag was mine, okay? It was my portion of our chip collection at home. Somebody stole my portion, okay? I don't know who. I will get to the bottom of it, all right? My point is there are portions in life that can be taken from you. Successes can come and go. That can be taken from you. The, the well done, we like you, the applause, that portion, that can come and go. The own self-image that you have, maybe your wealth, the prestige, the respect, getting your way, circumstances going the way that you want to in general, those can come. That can be a portion, and they don't have to be bad. They could be good, but they will also go. Portions can be taken away just like a bag of Fritos can. But there is a better portion that will never be taken away, and this is the portion that Mary has. Right? It cannot be taken away from her. You can't take it away. Martha can't take it away. Do you see it? Jesus will not be taken away from you if he is your portion. Notice, Martha's trying to feed Jesus. Mary is being fed by Jesus. To sit at Jesus' feet means to listen to Jesus and have him as your main course, as your good portion. He's the meal. He's not a side dish. He's not the dessert. And this is hard for us. I wrote this week in the update about Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India in the earlier part of the 1900s. Uh, there's a quote of hers uh, that I'll put for you here on the screen she says, I do not think there is anything from the beginning of our Christian life to the end that is so keenly attacked as our quiet with God, for it is in quietness that we are fed. And that's Mary's stuff, right? 
It's being there at the feet of Jesus. He's the main dish. He's the good portion. Yeah, there's a difference between enjoying Jesus and working for Jesus, isn't there? And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't work for Jesus. No, he calls us to be about his work. But there is a difference. And those things are not divorced from one another, but they are different, aren't they? It's not a matter of one thing is good and one thing is evil. It's a matter of one thing is first and the other is second or third or whatever. Right? We've we got to get this right. I mean, it's like if you've ever had to troubleshoot something that wasn't working. I have to do this constantly in my life, it seems like. I remember years ago, I, my washing machine would not work, and so I did what most people would do. I got the manual out, or if you lost the manual, you Google it or something, right? And I look at the manual, and it says to me what? It's, it feels a little insulting, but it says, step one, check to see if it's plugged in, right? You've seen that, and you kind of roll your eyes like, oh my gosh, I'm not an idiot. But then some of us are idiots, right? And I realize I should probably just plug it in. That really was the problem. I often wonder how many of our troubles how many of our anxieties would be cured? I mean cured. If we would follow Jesus' words, step one, be with Jesus. He's the better portion. He's step one. We can get this out of order. It should be on the screen, but there's a famous painting by a German painter, Adolf Menzel, it's hanging in the Berlin Art Gallery, and ironically, it's not a finished painting, as you can notice, but it's hanging. And the whole point of him setting out to paint this image was to show Frederick the Great, the great Prussian king of the 1700s. It was to depict him speaking to his generals. So this was the whole reason why he painted this image. But you'll notice it's not finished, right? There's, there's somebody missing. Well, because when he set out to paint it, he painted the background first, and then he painted all of his generals in second. And before he could paint the king in, he died. So now there's this painting hanging in this museum by this great painter. And the whole reason he set out to paint the painting was left unfinished because he didn't have his priorities in order. He said, I'll get to the king. And he didn't have time. Uh, this could be a great representation of this little story here in Luke chapter 10. Guys, which of these two believers... Martha or Mary, do you identify with more tonight? Which do you identify with more? I mean, really, this is a question. Another way of asking the question would for me to be asking you, how is your relationship with Jesus really going? How's it really going? I mean, one way to check yourself, and this is right here in your passage, do you find yourself frustrated with others who don't seem to be carrying the same weight that you are? Are you out there busting your tail and you're saying, why is no one else helping me? I mean, if you're honest with yourself tonight, are you even angry with Jesus? Right? That he isn't better at getting you more help. Right? Martha says to Jesus, don't you care? Tell her to help. Guys, whenever the self-pity can creep into our heart, if we have a depleted soul, if we haven't been with Jesus and feasting on his own life, when that happens, we can get really cranky, not just with people around us that we think are lazy, we can get upset at Jesus himself, can't we? We can begin to cast doubt on him. Lord, don't you care? Jesus doesn't brush you off, though, even if you were to say that. He invites you over. 
doesn't he? Right? The cure for your troubled and anxious heart is for you to not just get your act together, it's to come over and sit at the feet of Jesus. Right? This is all about the basics, isn't it? This is just kind of Christianity 101. I, I uh, heard a counsel the other day talk about how there's so many Christian leaders in particular who are calling him because uh, he is a mentor to a lot of people. They're calling him and they're just saying, I'm so stressed out. I, I just, I, I'm going to quit. I can't do this anymore. They're just losing it. And so he hears them talk for about five minutes and then eventually he just says to them, what did you eat for breakfast? And they're like, what? I, I didn't have time to eat breakfast. What are you talking about? Right? And he's like, have you been drinking enough water lately? Right? And they're like, I don't, I don't know. I've not been counting, you know. Or have you, have you had any exercise lately? Have, you know, have you been sleeping well at night? When was the last time you just poured your heart out to God in prayer? When was the last time you just meditated on the promises of God? When was the last time that you lingered in the presence of God and just started praising him because you were so grateful for him? He said every single time the person would say to him, ah, oh, it's been a long time. And he says, all right, do that for a week and then call me back if you still have problems. He said, no one's ever called me back. Maybe because they want something more than basics, I don't know. But we get the point, right? We get the point. If this is the one thing necessary, if Jesus says this is the one thing, shouldn't we listen? Guys, all of us need Jesus all the time, not as a side dish or a dessert option or a nature valley bar between meals, but our main course of soul nourishment all the time. And guys, if as a church we believe this and we treat him as such, his power will flow through our lives and we will make the real Jesus non-ignorable in our city. But if we only live with an idea that Jesus is theoretically first, then I fear that we could become a theoretical church doing the work of Jesus without the power of Jesus. I thought this was helpful. It's a quote by Francis Schaeffer from the mid-1900s. He was a theologian living in Europe. And he said, the central problem of our age, it's not liberalism or modernism, nor the old Roman Catholicism, or the new Roman Catholicism, nor the threat of communism, nor even the threat of rationalism in the monolithic census which surrounds us. You can just throw in your danger of choice here. All these are dangerous, but not the primary threat. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than the spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. But this is why all of us should be way less worried about anything that's going on outside of the walls of our church family. Right? Then we should be about our churches. Because too many of us, we've, all we've ever known is Martha-like busyness for Jesus. Sincere, admirable work. But while Jesus is always available to us, we do not stand the time to linger and listen and be shaped by him. We could be so distracted, so torn to pieces, so anxious, so troubled. And he says to me, and you, you are troubled. You are anxious about many things. So come and sit. Come and sit. 
guys, how do we listen to Jesus? You might think Mary had it good. I mean, she had Jesus, right? She could hug him and stuff. Right? How do I sit at the feet of Jesus and, and listen to him? Well, guys, we fundamentally do that by listening to the Bible. It's by reading the Bible. It's, it's the basics, right? Because why? John chapter 1 says, Jesus was the word made flesh who dwelt among us. Hebrews 1 says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God has spoken to us by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Right? And when you poked Jesus, the word just came out of him, didn't it? You saw him tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Right? And every time he was tempted, what did he say? He didn't say, well, I, I'm stronger than you, or I'm not worried about that. He didn't do it like that. You know, he says, it is written. It is written. It is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When he's about to be uh, in prison to go to the cross, He's with Peter, and Peter gets his sword out, and Jesus says, I know I'm going to die, but do you see, I could call legions of angels to come. But Peter, how would the scriptures be fulfilled? When he was carrying the cross on his back, and he saw women on the side of the road, he quotes Hosea to them. When he's hanging on the cross, he's quoting places like Psalm 22. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that Jesus believed the Bible. And what he taught was the Bible and all of the scriptures, all the Bible. He not only lived out, but those scriptures find their fulfillment in him. This is why Jesus stood up and said, if anybody thirsts, come to me. I am living water. If anybody's hungry, come to me and you will never be hungry again. Do you see? If you poked Jesus, the Bible came out. And when Jesus was pierced, It was done so so that you and I could hear the words that he spoke from the cross. It is finished. It is finished. He was completely unlike Martha in that she said, I am left to serve alone, yet Jesus willingly served alone. He was the only one who could accomplish the work that he did. We could not help him. We only added to the problems. And so we find the whole message of the Bible is not what you and I are supposed to do for God. The message of the Bible, the crux of the Bible, is to tell you and I what God has done for us. That's why we come and sit. We go and sit and we hear and we remember that no work of busyness that you and I could do now will make us more loved by God or less loved by God. That there's not an amount of work that we can do to be more accepted by God or less accepted by God, if Jesus is my portion. It means I don't have to live up and prove myself to other people because ultimately I'm approved of in Christ. I only care what Jesus thinks about me. It means you don't have to always get your way in this world because you know that you have a king and you are a part of a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And one day you will move into that kingdom in its fullness. But we forget this. We are anxious and troubled about many things. So we need to come and sit. We need to be shaped by Jesus. We need to take this Bible and and sit under it and say, speak to me, just like Mary. So as a church, I want to be asking us in this season, and the question I'm asking myself, I mean, whose feet are we sitting at? We're, We're sitting somewhere. We may be busy, but who has our ear? We may be busy, but where am I lingering? 
I'm lingering somewhere. No one can run 100% the whole time. We linger somewhere. I want to be conscious of the fact that I know many of us, uh, maybe when 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 I talk about sitting and reading the Bible, you're like, I don't even know how to do that. What does that even look like to listen to Jesus? So, uh, if you will, I want to map out just a few things of, by way of practical encouragement for you in this screen. Because you and I plan many things, and that makes our lives busy. So I want to encourage you, you have to have a plan. You're not going to stumble into just, oh, I got no time to do. I guess I'll do that. You know, you're not going to do that. Have a plan. Right? Just start somewhere. If you've never read the Bible, I encourage people to read the Gospel of John. Just go there first. Right, read a psalm, read a gospel, read a book of the Bible, just work your way through it. If you're like, I don't understand any of this, get a good study Bible. The ESV study Bible is a really good study Bible. And then when you sit there and you have your Bible open, you've, you've actually lived into this time that you've planned, pray. Pray. Ask God to teach you. That's the great promise of being a Christian is that you have the Holy Spirit and God promises that the Spirit will teach you. He will guide you into wisdom and truth. And he will shine the spotlight on Jesus in your life. Sit there and just observe. Linger there. Take notice. Who's in this story? What's happening? What questions do I have? What's being said? Think about what it is that this passage is telling you about God. Think about what it is that this passage is telling you about yourself. Just observe some things. Linger there. But then meditate. Not in some strange Eastern, you know, kind of idea. I'm just saying meditate. Meditate on God's word. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Just choose a verse that that sticks out to you. Slow down. Recite it. Turn it into a prayer. Meditate on it. And then ask Jesus, what sin do I need to confess today? Ask Jesus, what do I need to believe that I'm just not believing? What do I need to do that I'm not doing? And then just pray. Pour out your heart to God. We have, we have a great promise in the Bible that says, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Right? You can say, Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing? And he says, cast your anxieties upon me. Come to me. Even more practically, uh, this, this summer, I'll be um, inviting as many guys who are wanting to do a, a course on how to read the Bible and understand it. I know Lindsay Bach, I hope you're doing it, right? You're doing a course for women, right? On how to read the Bible and how to understand it, how to handle it, right? Take that up if you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But guys, this is not a message. Um, although I, I really want to help you in being practical, I want to be you know, thoughtful about anybody who's here, but this is not a message that I'm sitting here trying to motivate you to say, all right, tomorrow's the day, I'm going to blow the dust off my Bible, I'm going to get my act together. That's not going to work. It's just not going to work. That would be the equivalent of you blowing your own hot air into a balloon and trying to keep it afloat the whole week. Eventually, it's just going to hit the ground. You're going to get tired. And that's the great thing about this passage in particular. We don't see Mary here blowing her own hot air into a balloon. No, we need something else. We need something that's going to float our balloons for us. Something that's going to drive us to Jesus, that's going to want to drive us to his word. And the way that we do that is being captivated by the beauty of Jesus. And that's the wonderful thing. As you read the word of God, it doubles back on you to make you want to read it more. To be captivated by the beauty of God, to continue to go to it, to sit and to listen. I mean, just just like if you wanted to go see the sunset up at Crown Point, you, you have to drive there to see it. 
right? Just in the same way, if you're going to be captivated by the beauty of Jesus, you have to drive here. You have to plan it. You have to see it. Right? But after you go over and you see it and you see the beauty of the sunset up at Crown Point, you're going to want to go back again because it was so magnificent. And this is exactly, exactly what captures Mary's heart. Jesus is in her house. Right, so let me just conclude by putting a few verses here on the screen because this is what God's word is saying to us. The whole message of the Bible is not what we do for God, but what God does for us. So what does it say? It's a grand invitation. Be still and know that I am God. Come and sit. David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Come and sit. Isaiah said, but they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. We come and sit. We open with this in our worship service. In Zephaniah, he will quiet you by his love. And then when Jesus rebukes the storm, what does it say? There was a great calm. So we come and sit. Guys, this is where the Bible takes us. We're sitting at the feet of Jesus leaves us. So when was the last time that Jesus gave you rest? When was the last time you found stillness just in knowing that God is God? When is the last time you could honestly say, he restores my soul? When is the last time you could honestly say, he renews my strength? When's the last time you could say, he has quieted me by his love? So there is a great calm coming over me. Let's come and sit. We are distracted. We need to come and sit. God, I pray this evening as we consider this short little remarkable story, God, I pray that we could say with the psalmist that our flesh and our heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of our heart and our portion forever. God, I pray we would sing like like he does, God, for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. God, we are so grateful for your tender invitation in our distractions and our troubles, in our anxieties, to remind us to return to your feet. I pray that we do that tonight. I pray that we'd linger there in your presence, that you would just sober us up, Lord. That as First Peter says, we'd be so sober-minded that we would set the hope that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus. God, that our hope would be fully there. God, make us a church that waits upon you, that, that lingers in your presence. God, make us a church who is like Mary here. In Jesus' name, amen.